The theme of the past year in an obvious sense has been how we continue to lead progressive, efficient, and normalized work lives in a highly unnormal world. The pandemic has forced us to rethink how we collaborate, engage, and connect from first principles. Now, one of the most ubiquitous products we all use in that effort is Dropbox. And it's why this week I was thrilled to be joined by Timothy Young, president of Dropbox. Talking with Timothy was unique and interesting on multiple levels. On one sense, we dug deeply into the way Dropbox is reimagining the workplace. And on the other hand, we dove into how these changes in our work environment flow through the underlying products Dropbox is developing. We spent a lot of time talking about Dropbox's new virtual first strategy, how companies overcome friction when introducing new ideas, building the right model and environment for employees, and the challenges of remote work at the employee, team, and management levels. I learned a lot from Timothy, and this was one of the most engaging discussions we've had on the pod. Welcome, Timothy. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, Timothy, excited to have you on the show today. We're going to dive you know, pretty deep into Dropbox and, and specifically on your philosophy on the future of work today. But before we dive in, tell us a little bit more about your background and how it led you to Dropbox. Yeah, so, you know, I'm uh, I'm the oldest of four kids. I grew up in, in Los Angeles and uh, grew up kind of uh, a big fan of building things, but also just kind of a lover of technology. My, uh, you know, parents, uh, both kind of entrepreneurs and father traveled internationally uh, during the 80s and 90s pretty extensively. So he was gone kind of 40 plus weeks out of any given year in that period. And as the oldest child was just really kind of alone, right, kind of focused. And so technology became obviously, you know, in many ways, one of my one of my best friends. And uh, just really found a, a love and a passion for that and then scaled that into, uh, you know, doing computer science, uh, you know, down outside of L.A. and University of California, Riverside, and then uh, really found a love for building internal kind of social tools. And so I actually left school early uh, to go work with Interscope Records and Universal Music Group uh, in building out solutions for internal employees there. And then that was basically spun out into a company. Uh, which, you know, kind of led me on the venture capital path, uh, which was called SocialCast. So SocialCast was an enterprise network, uh, you know, kind of social network for employees. And, uh, you know, it's kind of in the pre-Slack kind of Yammer Jive era. Uh, and it was a very successful company and ended up being acquired by VMware. And then I was an exec there uh, for some time. And, you know, in the process, it also was fortunate enough to found and build About.me and, uh, you know, I've been in the Bay Area for a little over kind of 12 years, building companies, advising companies. And, you know, a few years ago, uh, you know, Drew approached me and we started talking about the next chapter of Dropbox. Uh, and I had been a very early user and a big fan. Dropbox had helped my companies kind of get off the ground and, and be built as part of our infrastructure. And so it was just an exciting opportunity to get back into kind of social software and building solutions for knowledge workers as Drew wanted to kind of expand Dropbox into kind of the next chapter of its story. And that's what kind of, that's what kind of brought me uh, to the company and, and joined in 2019. And one of the really interesting things, and, and we'll touch on this a lot today, is when you think about kind of the products you guys are actually building, as well as just the extrinsic macro observations of the environment that we're in, there's a lot of interrelation and, and overlap, right? So we're a year into the global pandemic, obviously has had a significant impact on the way we work, the way we think about work. We're gonna talk a bunch about the strategy you guys announced in October of last year. But before diving into that, just walk me through how the first months were 
you know, of the pandemic? What did you observe about how work was changing specifically at Dropbox? You know, at Dropbox, you know, ironically, kind of, I was overseas, actually, uh, you know, kind of at that tail end of February, I was actually taking my son to Spain for soccer. And so I was overseas. And, you know, I woke up at 3am from actually Drew's, uh, you know, executive business partner calling me saying, hey, you know, Trump had just gone on CNN and announced that they were shutting down, you know, air, air traffic from the EU and then in like 36 hours. And they said, you better get back here. Uh, you know, it's starting to look, you know, pretty grim, right? So it was pretty kind of dark time. So, you know, immediately for me in that moment, I think everything kind of, you know, abruptly changed. Your whole mindset changed. Um, and so I quickly got back to the States and then it was really thinking about how do you take care of the employees? For us, that was like priority one. And then it was priority two was how do we provide stability in the business uh, and really bring some level of business continuity and normalcy for customers, right? They were really counting on Dropbox immediately became kind of this background utility infrastructure layer for our customers to really almost immediately coming to the foreground as mission critical, right? As that layer that was stitching together a lot of their employees work. Um, and then obviously, you know, as a management team, we had to respond very quickly to, you know, 12 global offices, 3000 employees and prioritizing their safety and their security. And then beginning that transformation about, you know, how do you shift uh, 3000 people from mainly working in offices uh, and that, that sort of collaborative culture, that, that connective tissue, that alignment that you have, and how do you transfer that alignment to kind of all, all just kind of working at home remote? And I think, you know, as I started to reach out to employees to kind of understand how the shift was transforming, it really brought kind of the humanity back to work, really apparent, I think, for all of us. And, you know, you started to really understand and get a different view of employees' lives. I mean, you were really kind of you know, when you're getting on a, a virtual conference on Zoom or something, you're like into their house, right? So you saw a new side of, of your own team. Um, and I think that has brought a lot more empathy in, inside of our company, a lot more understanding. Uh, but it's also exposed a lot more challenges, right? You really understand people and what they were going through, um, whether they were, you know, a veteran uh, that is an employee that's dealing with challenges, you know, with PTSD now being trapped right in COVID, or you're dealing with people with kids at home. And I'm seeing, you know, employees get shot in the head with nerf darts, right? So it's a whole new aspect to, you know, a new dimension to work and helping employees. And then obviously our customers kind of manage through that, but it's a, it's a management challenge and, and obviously a leadership challenge. And I'm really proud of, of how the team stepped up last year. And the strategy you guys landed on is one you're calling virtual first, right? And, and you have a phrase I really like, which is virtual first is a more opinionated form of remote work. So I want you to unpack at a high level what virtual first means and why virtual first versus other approaches, right? In-person, remote, hybrid, et cetera. How did you guys land on that approach? Yeah, so we, we, took, a, we took a lot of time, you know, uh, looking at various opportunities that we had to really acknowledge the employee experience and, you know, ex employee experience, sorry, that we were all witnessing, right? Um, you know, we were witnessing so much of a change in how our employees were coming to work, uh, experiencing work. And so we really wanted to think about, hey, you know, if 2020 is this pivotal moment in time, 
that is not only going to shift the employee experience, but it was an opportunity for us, right? How do we transform this crisis into kind of an opportunity to really revisit what does it mean to be an employee at Dropbox? What does it mean to define and create a system where they can really do their best work? And so for us, we looked at, you know, a number of different modes, right? For years, I've been a friend of Matt Mullenweg at Automatic and WordPress, right? So I've watched him create this amazing remote distributed company globally. Um, and so, you know, looking at his model over time, looking at others, uh, looking at like companies like GitLab, and then talking to our employees, we kind of settled on this virtual first approach, which to us is very opinionated, right? And virtual first is really uh, creating a primary mode of working for all employees that is remote. Um, and so we, at the same time though, we do wanna retain some of our office space, but we wanna transform them into what we call studios where teams can kind of meet for those like meaningful moments of collaboration and culture, because we still value that in-person experience, but we wanna balance it out um, with the remote nature as kind of being the primary or the default, right? Um, and we want individual, individuals to really have the flexibility to sort of live and work from where they want. Too. And so for me, I think, you know, in my career, mobility and geography have played such a massive part um, that we thought this was a great opportunity for us to kind of unlock that friction for employees. So our virtual first approach is like, it's very intentional. We want to create a level playing field for all employees versus a lot of other hybrid approaches uh, that really gives individuals kind of a different experience, right? Depending on whether they're in office or remote. And so you know, we had not only our people team, but a lot of our, um, you know, engineering teams, our product teams, our support teams, our sales teams do a lot of research and come together as a working group to define kind of, you know, what virtual first meant and really create a Dropbox opinionated version of kind of distributed work environments. And so there are three elements of virtual first, as I understand it. There's location strategy, there's the nonlinear work days and then employee experience. Unpack each of those pillars and components, and then you know we'll dive into them more specifically. Yeah, so you know the first one is really location strategy, and so for us, you know, going virtual first means that you know we can access a broader and more diverse talent pool from across the globe. You know, Dropbox has always had a very high bar for our diversity commitments. Uh, we've had a very kind of much employee-led culture in many ways. Um, and it's been something that has really defined kind of the DNA of being a drop officer. Um, and so as we think about moving forward in this virtual first environment, we've tried to think about how can we expand on that vision and that mission that we have? Um, and how do we actually create a workforce that is even more representative of our customer base, especially when our customer base is growing international, right? So how can we expand quickly um, and really access talent all across the globe? right? In a, in a way that is equitable uh, for all. So that's kind of our, at our high level, that's our location strategy. Then obviously, you know, we look at what we call nonlinear workdays. And I think for us, you know, when we looked at, you know, all of our, you know, kind of management, you know, kind of experiences with work, it's really been around that nine to five workday. And I think that nine to five, you know, concept is really a relic of the industrial revolution. You know, we've kind of all been programmed over a hundred years through school and factory and office work that you show up roughly at nine, you leave roughly at five um, and it's kind of synchronized in time, but it doesn't really fit, I think, modern lives. And it definitely for us didn't really fit for what we were experiencing in 2020. And I think 
the advent of tools like Dropbox and Zoom and mobile phones, you know, you see this constant blur of personal life and professional life with the constant interruptions and the notifications. And so we were really thinking about, okay, if this is not just a change of the workday, but it's really a change of employees' relationships between their personal life and work. And so, you know, we really wanted to revisit that sort of workday concept. And so when we think about nonlinearity, we introduce this concept that we call core collaboration hours. So it's a four hour time block, you know, it's in your local time zone. And that is the period of time during a day, any given day that we ask employees to kind of be online for synchronous activities. So you can always expect in that four hour time block for your team members to be available. But then we give employees kind of agency and flexibility to design the rest of their workday to fit around their own personal lives, right? So, you know, what we saw is that, you know, people start to design nonlinear workdays where they can do that guilt-free pick up their kids from school at 3 p.m., right? Or they can go to that PTA meeting uh, online that might start at four. And, you know, we never wanted employees, especially uh, with children or other, you know, kind of pressing personal life situations to ever feel caught or trapped between should I choose my team members meeting or something that I need to do for my kids, right? That was not an employee experience that we wanted. And we thought, you know, our mission is at Dropbox is to create a more enlightened way of working. And that starts with our employee experience. Um, and so we wanted to really focus on the outcomes of our employees and not just measure that on a strict time schedule. And then, you know, I think that touches on really the third piece, which is that employee experience, right? And so we realized that this is a huge shift. So we released a toolkit that provides a starting point for like practices and frameworks to help employees kind of stay well, focus on their outcomes, um, and also develop the mindset shifts that we want to see, right? So we wanted the toolkit to not only focus on work, but also how to stay well when working from home. So how to address things like Zoom fatigue uh, or just continually working long hours, right? Because there's not a lot of other activities to do out of the home at the moment with COVID. Um, so we wanted to give them a lot of support. And then obviously, as we look forward to kind of reopening, um, you know, as a society in many ways, you know, our studios are the kind of the new concept of the office environment to help teams meet in person. Right? How do we help still create the moments that matter in, in product building and in that life cycle? Um, because we wanted to recognize obviously that human connection, right? Um, and that was, a, that was a big piece of the overall strategy. And then uh, as we've evolved over the last year, you know, it's really been interesting to see employees respond. So they've created things like vibe committees that are based on region and local ambassadors to help kind of build belonging and connection, you know, between employees. And because the whole idea here is if we can bring joy to people's employee experience, we think they're going to create much better products and much better outcomes for customers. Um, and, uh, you know, so we're really excited about those kind of three main dimensions uh, of our strategy. I'm, I'm pretty interested in this kind of bottoms up, uh, the interrelation between this bottoms up and top down approach, right? So at a top level, you've mentioned actually being pretty prescriptive in each of those three areas. And, and I'm curious why you felt it important to be prescriptive, you know, versus just setting broad strokes, guiding principles and letting practices emerge bottoms up. But then I'm also curious for 
you know, and the vibe committees are a great example of how do you, even in an environment or a construct where you are prescriptive, how do you allow for enough space for organic bottoms up, you know, type opportunities, engagements, et cetera, to emerge? Well, I think, you know, to be honest, I think it's something that, that we're still evolving, right? And this strategy is going to evolve over the next couple of years because, you know, there was a, there's an application of this strategy that worked really well in 2020 and even into this, you know, 2021, where we're still really experiencing in most parts of the country, like a he- the heavy effects of COVID and kind of unable to really do things socially. But, you know, the next evolution of the strategy will, will come, I think, when we're able to actually do things and have more mobility and be able to meet in face-to-face so there'll be a kind of a, a change uh, in upgrade in, in the application of it. But I think for us, when we thought about designing this, you know, 2020 was such uh, a stark uh, contrast for employees, right? Literally, I had employees one day who were inside our office in San Francisco in our big office environment working, uh, you know, eating in our, you know, company restaurant. And literally the next day they were logging on to Zoom. They didn't even have a desk at home. They might be using literally Amazon, empty Amazon shipping boxes as their desk, right? And so it was really for us helping employees through that. And then also thinking about anytime I've always wanted to ingest change into an organization, there's always that initial inertia that's so tough to get to, that friction and getting started so difficult. And it was such a stark contrast, you know, being in the office to working from home um, that we wanted to give everybody like a jumping off point. And for us, I think, you know, we said, hey, let's, let's be very opinionated about this. And let's be very clear as a company that this is a key part of our culture moving forward, that this is an advantage for us. So let's be very prescriptive. Um, but then let's also give people that initial template and then room to grow into Right. And also be very open with the company that, you know, we want to source ideas from everyone. We want to be able to be responsive and we're going to adapt. We're going to learn together. Um, And so I think for us, you know, it gave people comfort that they needed, especially in 2020 that, okay, here's, here's a template, here's a framework, here's a playbook for me to get started. Uh, Here's a set of tools I can use to manage through. Um, But knowing that there's some plasticity to it moving forward and we want you know, to recognize that there's different functions, different teams, different work styles. And so they'll be able to adapt uh, both on a personal level and a team level kind of moving forward. What were some of the most surprising insights or observations that have come out of of this process? And I'm most interested in, you know, insights or observations that aren't obvious. You know, so for example, when you're forming the strategy, there's elements, of course, to be opinionated in and, and elements to work through. But there are also elements that are pretty predictive, right? You know, there's pros about being in the office in terms of interaction, and that's attractive. There's pros about being remote, you know, less commute time, flexibility, et cetera. That's also obvious. What hasn't been obvious? And how have you guys continued to digest that as you are evolving the strategy? Because as I understand it also, the strategy goes into effect in true application middle of this year, right? Yeah. It's still a very much so evolving, evolving approach. Yeah, I, you know, I think, you know, one way to approach kind of reimagining work is just to kind of look at it from an, a very activity-centered approach, right? So we're going to change in-person meetings to Zoom. We're going to shift, you know, this dimension to operating this way and, and very much a, a list of, of activity change. I think for us, 
we started at that point when we were, you know, conceptualizing um, because it was so obvious what would the shift was. But as we started to do the research, I think what we found really interesting is the shift we made quickly to kind of human-centered design. So we were actually thinking about not just designing for customers anymore, but kind of turning that introspection inward, right, on ourselves. And so we had researchers from across the company kind of redeployed from researching and working with customers to actually following groups of employees. So, you know, finding pilot groups who have adopted some kind of unique practices and really observing them, right? So participants, you know, who are employees kind of recorded diary studies about how they felt, uh, you know, watching them take actions through the day. And so we were looking at things like, you know, uh, employees' emotional levels through the day, right? Their energy levels through the day. So things that we were not actually you know, ever factoring into the overall office environment prior now became very important inputs um, to the strategy. So that was a little bit surprising that we kind of quickly got there for us. And I think that gave us a wealth of insights uh, into how to kind of effectively start to iterate on that transition to being more distributed with our virtual first program. And I think we've always said internally that, you know, we're taking kind of a learning and growth mindset with making this change. And so that's kind of an example of that. But I think, you know, based on the research and a lot of the insights we've had, we've also begun to make changes, right, to even that core collaboration uh, aspect that I mentioned. You know, so, for example, uh, in EMEA, we've split into two blocks of time to better account for North America's overlap. And so I think, you know, what we found is that what works really well in terms of building products and services for customers also works equally as well for building for employees. And, you know, that that approach of build, measure, learn that we wanna take when we build products, we're actually bringing into the employee experience. And so for a lot of, I think the management team and our people team, we are really kind of our product now is, especially in 2020 and 2021 is our employee experience. So how do we ship that organization and how do we put it on a path where everyone can do their best work? but in this new kind of virtual first scenario. On the employee experience side, you've been, you've been pretty intentional with thinking through how to maximize the overall environment folks are working in. I think some of the responses, Timothy, you're giving are, are kind of alluding to that point. One of the things you said earlier in the conversation is, you know, you guys, as you have been developing out this strategy, you formed over, you know, templates, toolkits, et cetera, for folks to have kind of guiding parameters. Tell me a little bit more about what makes up that toolkit, right? I, I did a little bit of reading on it and um, it was what I found interesting about it were there were actually a lot of templates around not the pragmatic, um, not the practical perspective of, hey, this is how you build product or this is how you do engineering or so on and so forth, but really around the surrounding elements like mindset, wellness, communication, support, you know, et cetera. Uh, that I found pretty interesting. So talk a little bit more about that virtual first toolkit and how you guys framed that and thought through those elements as the correct elements to include in the toolkit. Yeah, I mean, I think firstly, you know, it's important if if we want to live our company mission, right, which is to design an enlightened way of working that, you know, we focus not only on building thoughtful products that help kind of bring about the future of work, but that we also help teams understand how they work together in this new in- environment. And I think, you know, a lot of, you know, companies focus on what to do, um, but don't really help employees figure out how to do it and then how to fit that into their overall, you know, construct in life. 
right? And I, you know, I, I look at it, a lot of elements of the toolkit kind of take approaches from other disciplines, you know, areas like sports, right? Where there is a lot of focus on personal development, uh, practice, repetition, psychological framing, energy management, right? A lot of things outside kind of quote unquote off the court um, are just as important as what you do on the court. And so the toolkit in many ways is kind of an approach and a guide for employees to help manage that off the court experience, right? So that they can feel confident bringing their best selves to work every day. And so I think as companies shift to kind of new ways of working, they often kind of miss that element, right? They kind of solely focus on just products. Um, but I think it's important for us, you know, and kind of we believe to kind of unlearn behaviors and habits that no longer serve us, right? So the virtual first, that toolkit really provides practices and, and frameworks to help employees stay well, right? So we want to focus um, all of our efforts on outcomes, not just outputs. And so I think that's a lot about mindset shifts, Right. And then we've also kind of open sourced that toolkit to our customers um, because we think it's important that anyone can learn from this. And we can also learn a lot by just exposing a lot of those materials right uh, outside. And our customers and other companies and other employees have also given us a ton of feedback on you know, their experiences with it, which has been super helpful in its evolution. Um, I think, you know, in that remote environment, it's really important to allow teams to kind of self-serve solutions to common problems, right? And this is something that is a little bit, we found a little bit counter to the office environment where in an office environment, I, I know where to go for everything, right? I kind of know there's a common map. It's, it's very easy to kind of figure out and navigate. But when I'm working at home, uh, you know, it's just as a human, it's just non-obvious, right? So we want to give teams, especially who want that flexibility of being remote and, you know, having more autonomy, the ability to kind of self-serve. And so the toolkit is the roadmap to success for employees. And it's a starting point. Um, and the content of it is really based on design thinking methodologies and frameworks so that employees can be empowered to kind of take control over their personal and work lives through really common sense frameworks and practices, right? So we wanted the toolkit to not only focus on work, but also how to stay well when working at home. You know, things like whether it be fatigue or how to manage, uh, you know, family interactions, right? And how to deal with working longer hours, how to set expectations with your teammates, um, and we really wanted to give employees some opportunity and tool sets to help avoid some of these issues, right? Avoid fatigue, avoid burnout, um, you know, avoid some of the psychological uh, traps that you can get in, I think, working remote. And then, you know, not only as a toolkit, but then we also back that up with a series of, uh, you know, kind of human capital support systems, whether they be services or applications or benefits, uh, that really acknowledge this kind of new way of working and some of the challenges that we might face outside of the office. And how have you all thought about kind of as a management team quantifying the impact of virtual first? And what, what I mean by that is a little bit earlier in the conversation, we talked about, you know, this mindset of build, measure, learn. And so I'm curious, what are the business metrics you look at and what your perspective is on how leaders of other organizations should think through those elements when thinking through which strategy is most appropriate for their organization? I mean, I think for us, it's, it really starts with the employees, 
I, I think there's a lot of benefits to virtual first and kind of remote distributed strategies. Um, but it's also, uh, you wanna acknowledge that every person in your organization is a person and you are blurring the lines of their personal life and their work life. And so everybody has their own story and their own experience. And you wanna be able to acknowledge that and understand that, especially when you're doing overall program development. So for us, when we're thinking about, you know, kind of metrics, it's very different um, than what we had in the office experience. And so for us, what we found so far is like employee feedback and surveys are really key for us. So when we do our, you know, kind of pulse surveys to employees, you know, we're looking specifically at a couple main questions and seeing how well as a, a company are we doing on these dimensions. One, you know, from employees is, you know, we ask them, are you able to do your job effectively? Do you feel effective at work, right? Um, so that's one. And then also another key one for us, and maybe the most important is employees' response to the question of, are you able to disconnect from work during non-work time? We really think about the employee experience as kind of everyone having a battery. And so we want to make sure that they're doing things both in and out of work that is able to recharge that battery. Um, so we look at those two dimensions from an employee standpoint. At a higher level standpoint, there's a, there's a shift that you have to make from synchronous communication to more asynchronous communication when you move to this virtual first way, right? And something that, you know, Dropbox is even as a product, we're trying to, you know, build in more support for this asynchronous way. And the way that, you know, we kind of talk about it internally at the company is synchronous communication is kind of almost like short-term memory. Right? It's in the moment experiences. And then async is really enabling the long-term memory of a company. Um, and so we want to constantly be measuring, you know, basically on a, on a team by team basis, what level of collaboration and communication are they doing async versus synchronous? Um, and if we can push more to async um, and you know, have more activities around that, we find that you know, our remote teams and virtual first orientation are much more effective, right? They're more confident in their work. They feel like they have more autonomy. They drive better outcomes. Um, there's better radiation of information. Um, and, you know, I think people feel more empowered to do their best work. Uh, and then I think finally for us, and one of the biggest insights I saw in the business last year is really just the concept of alignment and strategic alignment. And when I looked at, you know, where we started with COVID in, you know, when we closed our offices kind of at the end of February of 2020, we had very strong strategic alignment in the company, right? Everybody knew, hey, these are the projects I'm working on. These are the teams I'm working on. These are the strategies. These are the KPIs I'm delivering. But that, that alignment started to crack a little bit in the summer of 2020, right? As the plans that we had for the first half of the year wore off, you know, we found that building that alignment was very different in a remote first kind of orientation. And so we, we spent a lot of the second half of the year building in new practices, new programs, new software frameworks to track alignment. But for us, it's really measuring, you know, the effectiveness of our strategies, um, you know, the completion of them, the progress of them, and just overall employee alignment. Do they understand as employees what projects they're on, what teams they're on, what strategies they're driving, and then how do those impact the business? So alignment, I think for management teams is really key because how you generate alignment is very different uh, in, this, in this way. And I think for a lot of us, 
we felt like we're almost like YouTube live streamers as, as a management team, you know, like there's a production value and you're, you're almost, you know, a marketer uh, eight hours a day as you're moving through the company in zoom. And so really trying to, you know, watch how you show up. And then I think as a leader, how you measure your own activity, because I used to measure my own activity, thinking about management and leadership as a contact sport with kind of roughly how many people did I quote unquote touch in a day. And I could touch hundreds in our office, but on Zoom, right? Um, in a remote first, I only really touch the individuals who are on my you know, conference calls. That's it. I don't have that ability to walk through the halls and shake people's hands and say hi and do all those micro transactions. And so I have to be very intentional about that. So I'm constantly kind of along with my support staff, keeping track of, hey, what percentage of the employee base did I touch in activities today? What were those little touch points that I, that I did on? And then, you know, monitoring that because my peripheral vision of the organization has really become much narrower. So I have to be very focused on measuring activities that have the ability to really scale, right? So I'm constantly thinking about, a phrase that I use, which is, what are the micro tactics that I can do to drive macro impact, right? So what are the little tiny practices I can implement and measure that drive a lot of success and impact for the business? There's a lot to unpack there. Um, and I like a couple of the points that you made specifically around A, as a management team, driving an organization with a narrower view, right? Versus a broader view. I think there's a set of challenges that come there. Um, the focus on alignment, which, you know, as you know, as, as a leader of a company is, is an evergreen issue, right? It changes yeah. continually um, through, uh, through factors or environments, but it's an evergreen issue. Um, and then this concept of kind of microtransactions, right? And how do you touch people and such? Timothy, give us some examples or frameworks or tactics or so. If we kind of take, if we unbundle that or take that to the next mm -hmm. level, how have you been able to be effective in microtransactions? How, what are the different ways that Dropbox has been able to generate that alignment or re-steer, you know, kind of the ship? And then talk about your perspective also of running a large public company with a much narrower view, right? That in and of itself is significantly challenging as well. Right? So three really big questions, but um, your, your response really elicited the curiosity in me on, on kind of all three of those points. Yeah, I think from a, uh, an alignment strategy view, you know, we've looked at it from a number of, of dimensions, but the biggest one is, you know, we committed to the company that we're going to put a strategy on one sheet of paper for the entire company. So the whole strategy is laid out. It's on one eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. And it, no matter where you are in the, in the employee ranks, you can find yourself on that page, right? And it is truly the map, the strategic map for the next three years, um, and it lists out all of our priorities, our goals, our objectives for each year, and why we're doing it. So it's very easy to navigate. Um, and that was the start of building that kind of alignment, right? Is how do we, I use the term internally, Sesame Street simple, you know, our strategy. How do we make it so basic that every employee can recite it, understand it, and know the overall direction? And I think that takes a lot of work, right? Simplification and narrowing that down and you know, cutting programs, you know, cutting initiatives and really focusing on, hey, what is going to really drive the best employee outcomes and then the best customer outcomes? And let's focus on that. So really getting down to, hey, we have three strategic priorities for the year. We've got five objectives. Everyone's work begins to ladder into that. 
Um, and those are the reasons that are going to you know, really move the business forward. So really taking a, a long time. I mean, I think as a management team last year, we went dark almost kind of for the summer and really focused on that, right? Like we want to transform this business on multiple dimensions, both from a product standpoint uh, and then obviously from an employee experience standpoint. So how do we actually make it extremely readable and simple and, and recitable? So that was one of the things that we did. And then obviously we changed a lot of our modes of operation internally, right? So instead of focusing on individuals um, and products, we really looked at things in terms of uh, strategic objectives and teams. And so like our orientation of a management team has really kind of shifted as well. So we're looking at sort of bigger objectives. We're looking at bigger, you know, things from a team perspective, not as much as an individual perspective uh, and kind of looking at the lens of success through that. Um, and I think in terms of, you know, narrowing the perspective or narrowing the scope in terms of leadership, uh, it is it is definitely a challenge. You know, I think last year um, it was really exciting to be a leader uh, because there was a lot of ways to grow your own skills. And so for me, I really looked at, OK, I've got, you know, last year, closely 3000 employees globally that I need to communicate with and, you know, energized and they're working in a macro environment and dealing with a lot of personal challenges, right? It's a very difficult time. So how do we keep everyone focused and be a positive force in their life? And so for me, I was constantly seeking out what are the small little tactics that I can do as just one person in the organization, but have that macro impact, Right. And so I started to build little programs of just very simple interactions. So, for example, to many of our teams on Friday, I send out an email that is a one question email. Um, and they, it takes usually, I expect like five to 10 minutes for an employee to respond. All the responses come in over that like end of day Friday, over the weekend. And then I actually read through all of them and then report back to them to my teams on Monday. Hey, here's what I heard from everyone. Right. And it could be a very simple question as, hey, what are the top three things that you're most worried about as an employee? What are the things that keep you up at night? So it's very just quick, you know, kind of uh, pulses of the organization. Right. Um, I also introduced this concept, you know, kind of of zero day. Right. So change management, I think, in this kind of virtual first distributed work world is is much more difficult than it is in an office environment. Um, and so. For, for us, we implemented zero day, which just says, hey, if we're going to introduce a change into the company, we give at least one to two weeks, just notification that it's coming, right? And nobody has to take any action on it, but we kind of outline it. So it's just day zero, here's what it is. And we let just everyone kind of absorb, right? Because for us, I think I, I look at the company as the management team is like a small gear and the broader company is a much bigger gear. And anytime you're doing change, that small gear, you can spin pretty quickly as a management team because you can come up with a lot of ideas and programs and shift, but you've got to wait for that larger gear to make its full turn, right? So you can't spin, spin the small gear too quickly. You'll strip the gears, right? You'll build that on, you know, kind of misalignment. And so for us, it's about thinking about introducing change at the right pace. And so we, we put in that, that focus of zero day. Um, and, you know, I think... Also, you know, I do kind of a, a weekly series where it's 45 minutes, it's totally ad hoc. I get on Zoom, I invite all the employees, 
we kind of have a coffee chat. We call it Tuesdays with Timothy. And it's just open dialogue. It's just open questions, right? It's my thoughts on the business. And then I just take live questions on, on Zoom or we, you know, uh, pulse questions through Dropbox. And it's an amazing way to just build a little bit of a sense of community and, and touch employees. But I've also found that, you know, from an employee experience, sending one quick Slack message, one text message, and even the format of what communication, you know, platform you choose and mode you choose can have a massive impact on somebody's day or week as an employee. And so for me, I try to end those meetings, a lot of meetings kind of, you know, with 10 minutes left so that I can go do a couple little micro interactions with people in that session or people that were not in the meeting that contributed some work to it, right? And really try to touch as many employees uh, as I can. And it's through those little tiny interactions that I think really build that cohesive alignment and just continue that kind of Dropbox or spirit that we've always had at the company. Let's switch gears a little bit, Timothy, and talk a little bit about the product strategy and the effort to deliver tools to support distributed teams, right? And yeah. how that's continued to evolve in light of the pandemic. There was already a general shift for Dropbox to move in this direction. You know, this week you guys announced uh, the acquisition of, of, uh, of Docsend. Right. And there is this kind of general shift that's going in that direction. Talk a little bit more about this perspective on how the product strategy uh, has evolved to support distributed teams. Yeah. I mean, you know, Dropbox is just a phenomenal company in the sense that it's kind of iconic, right? It's almost 15 years in, in age. And um, it's been one of the rare software companies to ever get to not only 1 billion ARR, but 2 billion ARR organically with a single product. It's extremely rare. And I think, you know, it is a, it's a company that introduced most of us to the concept of the cloud, right? Of, uh, you know, being able to free ourselves of zip drives and USB sticks and transferring files with email, you know, now that we could just have, you know, our files kind of with us all the time on any device. And I think that was that original kind of magic experience that has created such an emotional connection for our customers uh, to the product and the company and the, the brand and the ethos of the company. Um, I think, you know, as we look forward to the future of work, to me, knowledge work is going to shift more in the next kind of five to seven years than maybe in the prior 30 years. I think it's, I think we're on a the precipice of a massive shift. I, I think obviously COVID has accelerated that quite a bit, but I think it's it's an opportunity, especially in the last year that we've taken to go back to customers and talk to them about what does Dropbox actually mean to you? Like we understand that you put a lot of files inside of Dropbox, um, but we also you know understand that files are, are just kind of, uh, you know, one encapsulation of what people are actually storing in Dropbox. And when you talk to them, whether they're using the product for personal life or work, it is the most important information to them that they entrust us with, right? So it's, it's their tax documents, it's their family photos, right? It's all of their work product, right? Their customer records, whatever that, that set of, of data might be. And so for us, as we're thinking about the product moving forward, we're trying to think about how do we continue to build simple, trusted content experiences that really take into account, uh, you know, ingesting more important information from, you know, people, our customers, and then how do we reflect that out and make that available to them in, in more ways than we have in the past, which is really, you know, kind of, we've always stored information, we've synced information, and we've been enabled you to share it. 
but how can we enable kind of more verbs? How can we enable customers to do more with their information and their content? And how do we think about a world that I think has permanently and drastically changed, especially in the last year, right? And a world that where files are still incredibly important, but there is other types of information, whether they be videos or ideas or bookmarks uh, or links, right? Kind of in many ways, URLs are the new files. So how do we think about the evolution of Dropbox and becoming even more valuable uh, to, to customers? And so for us, when we think about the product shift, we wanna do a couple things. One, we wanna begin to ingest more information than just files. Um, we also want to kind of, in many ways, free our customers from the limitations of the file system and the folder structure, which is very ownership oriented versus I think a lot of the web, which is more access oriented. So how do we want to evolve the folder structure as a container for information? And then I think on the third dimension, we really want to understand how can we organize information more intelligently um, instead of having... I think our customers kind of play a system administrator role where they're constantly managing folder structures and files. You know, we can leverage a lot of our machine learning um, platforms and, and knowledge that we have at Dropbox and apply that to their information. So how do we actually make the product really smart, right? The product was super smart about syncing, but how do we make the product actually smart for customers in terms of organizing information, right? How do we automatically pull information from whether it be third parties or your email and then organize it for you? Right? So we can create that folder that manages all your tax information and structure it for you and apply some machine learning to it. Um, same thing with your photos and all of your work product. And so those are some of the dimensions that we're really pushing forward um, on kind of the, as we think about the future of work, expanding beyond files, expanding beyond the folder, and then organizing your information in more kind of automated and, and intelligent ways. Let's talk a little bit more about those themes, Timothy, that you just laid out um, uh, with, with Spaces, with Dropbox Spaces as an example, right? So Spaces yeah. was launched in beta late last year. Um, I'm curious to get your take on you know, what ultimately Spaces solves for and how it fits into some of those themes that you just mentioned. But then more broadly as well, how you think about Spaces and the positioning of Dropbox in the ecosystem uh, today. There's been a huge surge of home, productivity, storage, et cetera, type solutions, as one would expect kind of being a year into remote work. Um, and so I'm curious how you think of the strengths of the company and the strengths of the core product, as well as some of the evolutions that you guys are also seeing externally, in addition to your internal work with products like Spaces, and that how that affects your perspective on just the landscape and the ecosystem as well. So Spaces is kind of one component of that question, right? Some of the themes you, uh, you articulated, how does it fit into spaces? And then more broadly, how does spaces and the Dropbox ecosystem, you know, sit relative to other products and other tools? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great, great question. I think for us, spaces is really the evolution of the folder for us, right? So I think in, in general, technology moves from an ownership orientation to more of an access orientation, right? So if you look at, you know, things like mobility and car ownership shifting to Uber, right? You look at, uh, you know, hundreds of years ago, if we wanted to eat, we'd have to either hunt or have a farm. And now I can have DoorDash or, you know, Amazon Fresh deliver my groceries, right? So it, we move from a ownership, I have to own the means of production and, and the actual entity to this access model, right? Which is all to say that I think technology removes friction from experiences in our life. That's what it continually eats at, right? That friction. 
whether we like it or, or not in many cases. So for us, the, the folder, you know, has been a, a valuable kind of, you know, and knowledge worker and computing paradigm for decades. Um, but it is rooted in that ownership uh, structure, right? A file is owned by a folder. That folder is owned by a file system owned by an individual. Now, you know, we evolved that a little bit by having the concept of teams or groups or shared folders, but we think that there's actually an opportunity moving forward to evolve even further beyond that and to really recognize what the web has brought about, which is this concept of access, right? So a URL, you know, kind of a cloud doc in many ways um, can be accessed by multiple people and doesn't have to be owned by a folder. It can just be a part of a lot of different organizational systems. And so for us, spaces is really that evolution of the folder, right? And, and as we think about how people organize information, as we think about how people, you know, work on efforts inside of organizations, you know, everything's kind of managed by a project. And so spaces is in, is many, in many ways is an uh, evolution of the folder that allows you to, um, you know, contain not just files, but also things like links and bookmarks and videos and other kind of rich media content that you might find and then organize it and share it in kind of new ways. Um, and so we want to evolve the core experience of Dropbox over time um, to being one that is mainly folder file structure driven to a more flexible surface um, that we think is more applicable to what people want to store today because our customers, they want to store that Figma design file or that Google sheet. They want to store it right next to their PDFs that they own, right? And they want to be able to organize it and share it with different team members or different family members. Uh, and so spaces is really the way that we have kind of foundationally begun to evolve that product to really, um, you know, better reflect our customers' experiences, right, beyond the file system. And I think when I look at the macro kind of environment in the ecosystem, the first kind of decade that when Dropbox was born, um, the technology industry was really focused, I think, on building out horizontal platforms, right? And so Dropbox was this horizontal kind of cloud infrastructure layer for individuals and teams. But if you look at the last like three to five years in technology, there's been a shift, right, um, uh, to building onto those horizontal platforms, much like kind of almost like sedimentary rock is constructed. And so if you look at recent companies like Datadog or Snowflake and others, right, that have become very, you know, popular in the public markets and very successful um, in, in helping companies evolve, they're less about building horizontal layers and they're more about workflows on top of those layers. And so for us, it's really about how do we expand Dropbox by building on top of the horizontal platform that we've built? Um, and how do we enable sort of kind of content adjacent workflows for customers? So how do we enable customers to do more with their content um, connected to other services um, and really have Dropbox not just exist on your local file system on your devices, but actually as a meaningful kind of connective layer to all the services that you use, whether it be applications, you know, on the web or on your mobile device, and then stitch all of that together in a meaningful way um, so that you can really leverage Dropbox uh, both personally and in your work life, you know, to drive better outcomes. Timothy, final question as we round out the conversation, and it's one I ask, you know, every guest on our show relevant to the space they operate in. And I'm going to divide it into two, uh, two sub questions because we talked about two kind of meaty topics today. 
The question is, what's one thing you believe in that others wouldn't agree with you on? And the first topic I'm going to ask you that question on is the future of work. That is a great question. So I think pretty strongly that remote work, right, or kind of this virtual first distributed work, I think it's going to simply become what we know as work. Um, I think it's a radical reset of how we contribute together. And I think it's, uh, it's going to, you know, take to the form of, of many new changes. I think that, you know, the future of work is kind of, there will be companies that have a flagship office, um, but I think digital first is going to be by default and offices are going to be more viewed as kind of almost the equivalent of like flagship retail stores, right? It's a, it's a place you want to visit as an employee when you want a more personal experience. It'll be helpful for new employees or customers. Um, but, you know, just like most of us prefer to shop at home now, I think that's how most of us are, are gonna, going to work. And uh, I think, you know, the office perks of the past, things like co- coffee or lunch or parking or dinner for people who stay late are going to completely shift. Uh, you know, it's all about having, you know, that Elgato cam link and that DSLR camera and that external mic and that green screen and home office stipends and things like that. So I, I think, you know, the entire relationship that people are going to have with work um, is going to is going to shift. And what we call remote work today will just simply become work in the future. Same question. What's one thing you believe that others wouldn't agree with you on? But the second topic is collaboration software. Yeah, uh, another another great question. And something that I think is very close to my heart because I've been working in, in collaborative software for so, so long. And, and I think uh, you know, when most of us today open our computing environments, it's still a very local experience, right? It's still very much rooted in, uh, you know, my local file system and, you know, just the applications I have on my desktop. But I think, you know, where we're headed um, is that in the future, you're going to open your com- computer and you're going to immediately open to kind of a connected or remote mode. Right. And I think the desktop metaphor is going to be replaced by a more kind of humane human computing interface. Right. You'll be immediately presented with where your team is, what they're working on, their current progress, video and audio streaming, I think will be on by default. Um, And you'll be able to look at sort of like a timeline feature of what you're working on. And I think a lot of the industry is still focused on, you know, the traditional productivity suites and kind of just extending a little bit of, of where yesterday was for work. And, and that makes sense in many ways. But I think I look at my own 10-year-old son's computing experience. And when he logs on, whether he's logging on to school or he's logging on to gaming or using Discord, it's a completely you know, different connectivity that he has. The audio video is on by default, right? He's live. He's interacting with people. And I think you're going to see a shift in the computing paradigm that's very different. And I think uh, there's an asymmetrical play that exists to build that next uh, productivity suite and computing experience that is really remote first. Um, And uh, I think it's a really exciting time to be at Dropbox or be building software for knowledge workers because I think there's going to be a radical transformation in how we start by default uh, our computing environments daily. Well, Timothy, you know, I I so appreciate the time and and all your perspectives today on on future of work and collaboration software and specifically the frameworks you you laid out. I think the the Sesame Street simplicity framework is is one I'll certainly 
you know, inculcate, I think in, in my life as well. So I appreciate the time. I appreciate the perspectives and thanks so much for, for joining the show today. Well, thank you for having me. It was a great time.